Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast with me, Scott Chaloner. This podcast, just like the Leaders Council itself, is all about recognising and celebrating those people who keep this great country running. We exist to give leaders a voice outside of their own organisations and to support them in the same way that they support their staff every single day of the week. Now, if you are in a leadership role yourself and would like to have your voice heard on the national stage, then please do visit leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Now, each week on this show, I am joined by a different leadership figure from the world of business, education, politics, sport, or even from local communities in the aim of truly discovering who those people are that get up every morning and make this country work. We get their take on the current economic and political landscape of the UK and discuss everything from making decisions to receiving due recognition and, of course, the success and the innovation that makes it all worthwhile in the end. I'm therefore delighted to say that my guest on today's show is Sharon Birch, owner and safeguarding lead of Footprints Learning for Life Nursery in Hartlepool, County Durham. Footprints is a nursery school that focuses on providing every child with an equal opportunity for a great start in life, regardless of circumstances. And the nursery was established in 2006 and is run on a philosophy that one size does not fit all with Sharon and her team striving every single day to cater for the individual needs and requirements of every child in their care, regardless of need, culture, race, gender or ability. But less of that from me. Let's welcome Sharon Birch onto the programme, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Sharon, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining us today. Hello and thank you for having me, Scott. I'm really looking forward to our discussion today and um, Mm. seeing where it takes us. Yes, likewise, Sharon. Um, I think a good place to start with that would be by addressing the COVID-19 situation because we do, of course, record this podcast in mid-July 2021. And so even though Freedom Day on July the 19th is ebbing ever closer, um, we're still living under some form of social restrictions for the here and now. And that's been the case for the last sort of 15 or 16 months. So how has the crisis affected you and your operation? over that last year and a bit? Well, like everybody, it's been an absolutely um, very, very, very difficult time. Absolutely um, heart-wrenching, stressful, um, very, very busy. Um, you know, we just didn't have the luxury of being able to be off in, um, sitting at home in lockdown like some people might imagine. Um, we actually stayed open throughout the lockdown period to care for our key worker children and and special needs children because it's slightly important that they were able to access childcare and to continue on with, with the education, especially those children that might have some um, additional needs. So we actually stayed open and we had children from even outside of our area because we were one of the few provisions that was, was available. Um, I was fortunate to be able to have a good team of staff, some of which um, really, really needed to be off for various different reasons and some that were really happy to come to work and help support our children. So we had a small team initially, um, but I had no idea what was going to happen throughout COVID. And I'll be really honest and say that I was seriously worried about the future of the business and being able to manage to come out of it and to be sustainable and to to still be able to provide the quality of service that we can, because obviously our finances were massively affected. Mm. Um, Obviously, we rely on parents to pay. We, we rely on funded places. Thankfully, we were able to keep our funded places um, for the two and three year olds and four year olds, um, which which was good. But obviously, we then had staff to pay. Furlough scheme was excellent. Really worried about how that might work. And thankfully, you know, it's 
really, really um, been a huge benefit. We weren't able to tap into any of the extra grants because we went our premises from a charity. So we always fell through the gaps and various different things. So I ended up having to take quite a hefty coronavirus loan, which obviously has an impact on the finances and business. But it was looking back now, it was the right thing to do because we've managed to get through the really, really difficult time of last summer, which was the hardest point financially. Mm. Um, eight people did lose the jobs. But we've now um, got more staff again. Some have returned to us and some have moved on to other things. And we've come out of it quite well, really considering, compared to some businesses. I mean, there's a lot of nurseries that have closed down and had to just shut the doors from throughout the whole COVID period. Um, and I think it's just tenacity, hard work, and sheer determination that's got us through it, really. Yeah, it has been a harrowing time for the sector, hasn't it? You mentioned there we've lost some brilliant sector operators along the way, and it has also been a time of immense tragedy for so many people. But sort of looking at sort of the silver lining in the cloud, as it were, if there is any, do you think that this sort of experience of crisis management has made you stronger as a leader in your position as an individual and indeed as part of your team that's still together? Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, I'm happy to make decisions I never thought I ever would. And uh, we, we have the ethos that it is very much a team effort. So obviously, you know, I've got to follow from the front and they have to have faith in me to get us through it. And I have to have trust in them that they're going to be supportive and want to be here and continue on. And I think as a team, it's really, we've really come together and, you know, done the right things and moved forward. We have lost some people throughout, you know, throughout the way, gone on to different things and people have, you know, the whole COVID thing, it's given people a perspective and made them think about their life and what they want to do. And I've got nursing nurses that have been here for forever that have decided, well, actually, yep, I've done my bit. Now I want to move on and do something else for me. And then that's great. And I fully, fully endorse that because people have to do what's right for them. And, you know, they've had a great time here. But if they want to go and do something different, now's the time to do it. We've got people in all sorts of professions that have decided to change their life. And equally, we've got people that want to come back to childcare that have been out of it for a while. And I've just taken on two staff that have been out of it for a long time, but they've come back and they're renewed. We've got vigour and really passionate in looking after children and they're a great asset to our team. So, yeah, I think there's lots of different aspects to it. And, yeah, I think it really has. Um, when it works, it works well. Mm. And I think it's pulled us all together. And, yeah, it's a good team to be, be the leader of. And of course, that team has been recognised this year for all of its hard work and dedication, even despite these challenges. You have been shortlisted for the 2021 Nursery World Award for Inclusive Practice. And in a year unlike any other, I imagine that the timing of that comes as a real morale booster. And it's something of which all of you can be very proud. Oh, absolutely. Immensely proud. I mean, we are just a tiny little corner of the northeast. We're rich with ambition, but poor in assets and everyone has really worked hard to provide an opportunity for, in the most effective ways because we believe in the individual and I think to have that recognised as our team is marvellous. So we're all going to London in September and we're going to celebrate and, you know, we might not win that award but we're shortlisted, we're a finalist out of three of the whole of the UK and it's marvellous because we're up against some big chains with mm. big budgets. That's not us. We're very small but what we do is very effective. 
Exactly right. Uh, September the 25th will be the moment of truth for that. As you said there, um, just to address the listeners, Footprints is one of three nominees for that award. So very best of luck there. I suppose part of being inclusive is catering for all children and all families, regardless of race, gender and ability. And supporting children with SEND needs is something I understand that you are extremely passionate about within Footprints. So what sort of steps have you taken personally to ensure that the needs of such children are catered for? Well, well, that's our ethos. And all of the staff, when they come here, they know that's our ethos. And having, I mean, I'm from Hartlepool and I've worked in London for, for many years in the 80s and 90s and I've lived up in Scotland and I, I, I have rich experience myself. And I, all my career has spent working with children and families and society. And for me, I'm very passionate about people and about the individual and I instill that in my staff and I like to think that if somebody, if a parent comes to us with particular needs about their child, we don't ever say no, we say, right, what can we do? How can we do it? We will make this work the best way that we can and there's nothing greater than a challenge that you take on and you see it come to fruition and you see a child bloom and blossom and grow and you have to get it right for children because you need to get it right now for when they go into school and have their future career because child development is now being recognised, thankfully, um, all the way the brain works and how it develops. By enriching that child with lots of different experiences and by making them believe that they can, because if you believe you can, you will. If you believe you can't, you won't. If we instill that in a child, there's no end to the possibilities and like I say, we are in one of the most high-deprived areas of the United Kingdom, but that doesn't mean to say that these children should not achieve their full potential, whatever that potential is. And for every child, it's different. And as a team, I do that with my staff as well. You know, every, every staff member is different with their own set of circumstances, so we have a good work-life balance. And one size doesn't fit all. We work together to the best of everybody's ability. And just having mm-hmm. faith that they... They believe in that and they come on board in that and we make it work. I think you raised a really important point there that sort of echoes across all of education. And that's the fact that even though sort of education for children has been delayed, put on hold, and there's a lot of lost learning and lost playtime that's been had, it shouldn't be an excuse as to why children, regardless of background, don't reach their full potential. And that's why the catch-up exercises, they're going to be really, really important over the next 18 or so months, aren't they? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it's about letting children be children, allowing them to play, allowing them to explore, not be too focused on targets, because the targets are out the window now. They haven't had the education, they haven't had the ability and opportunity to go and learn in the way that they would normally. So because of that, just get them back into schools, get them back into nurseries, give them opportunities. All about cultural capital, exploring different avenues, making them aware of different things, making them believe that they can do anything. And if a child has that faith, if you instill that faith in a child, they will grow and blossom. So what they lose in educational attainment will be made up over time. But it's about helping the mental health as well and helping them understand that actually they can achieve, they can do things. And it's not just about bumps on seats and being strict and controlled and conformed. You know, conformity, um, it's about letting them be children and letting them talk about things and explore. And I think schools really need to do that now. I mean, we do that at nursery anyway, but I think schools that 
need to take the pressure off targets and meeting um, those those grades and things because it's just not going to happen. Children's exactly. lives have changed beyond measure. It has for sure. And um, one thing that we do need to consider as well during the sort of catch up period is making sure that those children with those SEND needs also get that extra support that they need. And we're seeing as well just how critical the early years and childcare sector is in actually highlighting those needs early on and then getting the provision of education right to set those children up for school and later education. But do you think, just given how crucial early years and childcare is in that respect, Sharon, that the sector is given the recognition and appreciation that it deserves? Well, on a personal level, I absolutely don't. I think we're very much the poor relation when it comes to working with children and families. And when children go to school, everything's geared to schooling. But we have these children from a very early age. You know, we have this, the provision of the two-year-old grant for the most vulnerable um, children to, to access the things that they couldn't afford, like if they were professional parents. We have a wide range of different types of dynamics of families. We have a two-year-old grant to allow those children to have these experiences. And we have the three- and four-year-old grant in the 30 hours. Now, what I can tell you is it's great to have this funding. It's not enough because it goes nowhere near covering the costs to deliver good quality, outstanding childcare. We do it, but the finances are very, very tight, very, very difficult. Um, but I think these children, we are picking up any particular additional need we have more access to these children now through the provision of these grants. We've got children that are born much earlier than ever before, 23, 24 weeks, who naturally come with more health difficulties. They're exposed to us. We pick up these things. We put them into the system. Things aren't in place by the time they go to school, and they should be, but they're not. And I think some of these children come here more than they, that any other professional will see them, sometimes even more than the parents. And our voice is very often forgotten. I think sometimes we're considered as babysitters, as carers. There's so much more to early years, childcare and education. And our status needs to be elevated. We are professionals. We are early years professionals. We need the finances to be able to deliver that. And we also need to be recognised. And how we get it right is so important at this young age. And I think everybody, all the other professionals and all the other professions need to take notice of this. I can say that Hartlepool Borough Council, the local authority, have commissioned um, an earlier strategy to look at how they can um, create a forum with the professionals and how they can get it right for the early years. And it's going to be interesting to see where that goes over the next two to three years. I mean, the strategy itself looks great. In, you know, it, Let's see how it works in practice. I'm a great ambassador for it, but you know, we need the money, we need the finances, and it shouldn't be about money, it's about people. That's exactly it. It all boils down to finances, isn't it? And that's one of the big challenges that the sector has had to face up to, not just, of course, um, during the COVID situation, but also pre-pandemic. And when we look at how the sector operates, that's going to be the big thing, isn't it, moving forward to try and resolve and understand, of course, in yeah. your local area, as you said, raising the profile of the industry and how important it is. Um, there's been some fantastic groundwork there on that. Um, and I think awareness does need to be raised of the contribution of the sector to helping some of society's most vulnerable. And indeed, just yeah. going back as well to the Nursery World Awards that we talked about that, of course, um, you've been nominated for, their purpose is actually to raise the profile of the sector. So that again suggests that mm -hmm. it isn't getting that recognition it deserves, as we've talked about. Are we getting the recognition? Well, I hope, hopefully we will get that recognition. Um, but it is so difficult. I mean, as a 
a, a huge nationwide um, problem with recruitment and training. We're not getting the people through. We're not getting the quality of staff. The training isn't as good as it has been in the past. I mean, the NNEB was a marvellous qualification. We're going back to, you know, in my day, I didn't do that qualification. I'm not a nursery nurse, but I've got some marvellous staff who do have that. But over time, I think it's filtered down and diluted down. And we just do not have the, the, the people in childcare that we need. A lot of focus is getting people to be teachers. But what about the nursery nurses? Mm. We matter. We absolutely matter. These children matter. They do. Um, one thing I did want to touch on also is um, some of the sort of social equalities that we've seen during the pandemic or inequalities rather, uh, because yeah. you've mentioned already that you live in an area of high deprivation and that's where you're operating. So have you seen the impact of some of those social inequalities over the pandemic period? And that's something you've also had to work with. Oh, massively. I mean, a lot of it is hidden behind closed doors. We get to see some of it through the children that come through to us on the ground. And these families, I can tell you, are massively struggling. There are more people than ever using the food bank. Um, there, there's lots of families that really are at breaking point. I know social services are absolutely swamped. Early health referrals are swamped. Safeguarding has risen. Um, the children with the additional needs. There's been no sight of these children often because a lot of consultations are done over the telephone. Health visitors, two-year-old checks have been over the telephone. That's not a criticism of the health visitors. It's the pandemic and all the things that it brings. Hospital appointments haven't been followed up because everything's been focused on COVID. Children are slipping through. And we're going to see the ramifications of this for a very long time. We're trying to get it right now. We've got more children back into nurseries. There's very few that haven't returned. Um, but more need to be here. And I think there's a whole fear um, from parents. Oh, no, are they going to recover from this? Families are splitting up. The family structures have changed. They haven't had support from external family members. And, of course, professionals haven't been there. It, it, it's huge. This is just the tip of the iceberg. That This is going to go on for the next five or more years, children coming through through the effects of the COVID lockdown. And these families just really really need people like us, not just us, but lots of other people to help and support them to get through it. And I suppose the demand for more flexible childcare services is only going to increase, isn't it? Because we're entering a period of time now where typical sort of nine to five jobs may not be around as much anymore. More people are maybe going to be working from home or working in part time roles because of how the pandemic has changed our working practices. So in future, yeah. um, your services, there's going to be a lot more demand for them. Yeah, yeah, well, that was. I hope so for so makes us sustainable. But yes, I mean, we do operate very flexibly anyway. Um, one of the first things I did when I came into childcare, having worked in um, police, and my husband and I were both police officers prior to taking on the nursery, and we work shifts, and we had three young children, and it was incredibly difficult to get the right childcare. So when I came into this, I decided, right, I'm going to offer the parents what they need, which includes flexible childcare. So we do flexible sessions for shift workers. We open early, we close late. We alternatively do weekends, depending on demand. We open on bank holidays. Um, and if a parent needs childcare, we'll, we'll do everything we can to make sure that they, they get it. But with people working from home, that's incredibly difficult because I think some employees expect you to do your childcare and work from home. Well, that's just impossible. Mm. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes because lots of nurseries are quite structured in how they deliver 
that they're working. I was, we aren't, but we've always operated like that, you see. So it, it, that's not going to have um, a detrimental effect on us because we love it, we embrace it. But, yeah, generally it's going to be very difficult. It is, isn't it? I suppose those more rigid systems of childcare, they're no longer really going to be compatible with the modern day family moving forward, are they, into that post-COVID world? They're not. And this is where schools fall down because they open at around about nine o'clock. They close any time between three and quarter to four, depending on the school. And lots of parents, it just doesn't fit in with, with their needs. You know, they can't go to work and follow the school hours as well which is why we offer flexibility and we do pickups and drop-offs, but it doesn't always work for every family and every family is different and uh, and it comes right back down to one size doesn't fit all, but schools expect, not sounds like I'm bashing schools, I'm not bashing schools, but they do need to be more flexible in their approach as well. Yes, absolutely right. And um, we've seen how that can maybe happen with technology potentially playing a part as well in children's education. But again, I mean, we've got to be very conscious of social inequalities there as well, because we've seen the impact of digital poverty. We've seen that some children have fallen further behind because of it. So if it is to sort of accelerate the pandemic, um, a sort of digital revolution in education, that's something that we've also got to be aware of, closing that digital divide and making sure everybody has access to the basic basic resources, be that smart devices, and be that even something as basic as internet access. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And in lots of our families, um, they don't have access to technology, or the parents might, but the children certainly don't, because a lot of the parents might have the phone, but you can't do schoolwork on there. You can't do um, any educational work, really, on, on there. The local authority has been instrumental in helping get some laptops put out to um, the children and the PSC Trust, which is a local charity that's been set up that we work with them for fundraising and we recently did a storytelling initiative with them and they got a lot of laptops out, purchased a lot of laptops for the most vulnerable families so children can access um, technology to to do everything they need to do. Um, But there is massive inequality here, massive, and we see it all the time. The the lunchtime vouchers, more children, more families than ever, in our area, get, get these vouchers. There's a big question now, are they going to get them over the summer? Who knows? We don't know yet. We're still waiting to find out. Um, we, we go to a, um, a food waste centre in Hartlepool on a Tuesday, as we've been this morning, and we collect things like slug breads and pasta and tin food. And we have a shelf for our parents to access if they need anything. And that's not parents that go to the food bank. These are just all of our parents. And we're just helping any which way that we can because... There are so many families in areas like Hartlepool that just need so much help. They do, exactly. And as a result, um, within Footprints as well, uh, you're providing all sort of people meals through grants and funding yourselves, aren't you? Sort of help out where we you do, can We don't sense. charge any extras. We're one of the few nurseries in, in the whole of the UK that doesn't charge our grandchildren for lunches, for extras. Um, and we, we try to do it. Well, we do do it within our own budgets, and it's very tight. You know, we don't have any profits. I don't take a large wage at all. Um, we do it because children and families are the most important, you know, most important thing to our business. Exactly right. And when you're looking to grow and enhance the nursery within those financial constraints, you always have to sort of remember that it is for them that you're doing it and being innovative and embracing change in sort of an area of such strict operation. It's so, so important, isn't it? And 
when we think about well, sort of, we, yeah. we have to do what we ask the children to do and we have to be creative you know we don't go shopping and go to the um, most expensive supermarkets we don't go and buy expensive resources there's some marvellous early years resources out there and I just wish we could afford them we just can't so we make our own we, we have junk modelling, we get we, do, we use recycling. Does that have anything goes in our recycling bin because the children make models with it? We do that with our resources. We do what we can with what we've got. We are creative and we enable children to, to enhance their creative abilities too. And it w- works. We make it work. Exactly right. It's all about just maximising the use of what you have. And I can imagine into the future, that's going to be a real priority as we move into the post-pandemic world. And I do want to talk about that um, as well, Sharon, just before we do wrap up on the show today. Um, um, On July the 19th, um, we do understand, of course, as things stand, that it will bring the end of COVID social restrictions, at least for the time being. So as we enter that world and embrace the challenges of the legacy of the pandemic what are some of the priorities for you and footprints learning for life and what are you really hoping to achieve over this next calendar year well we need to be protecting our children and that comes in many different forms one of them is the the health of the children because obviously we've got a lot of children and some of them have additional needs and we have some vulnerable children so I think even though the restrictions lift within our nursery I think we're still going to sanitise we're still going to use masks for the foreseeable future, because in Hartlepool particularly, um, there's more and more numbers of people coming down with COVID, and it's the younger people. A lot of our parents um, are having COVID, have got COVID. Children are off. Some of our schools are closed through isolation. So I think certainly in respect of health terms, we're going to continue with those restrictions until such time we feel safer that, that the pandemic settled, that COVID settled down. Going forward, I think we need to be more alert to any safeguarding issues. We need to be more alert to any health needs that the families have because as we start to come out of the pandemic, people are relaxing a bit. We're going to see more, we're going to hear more, and we need to be alert to that. And we need to be protecting our families going going forward and just supporting them where we can. Um, Obviously, financially, there's no extra help out there. The furlough system's going to um, finish shortly. The financial side is a worry. Um, I still have some staff isolating. I have staff off because their parents, their children are isolating from school. It's going to be difficult. But we're going to have to do the best we can and we're just going to have to deal with it. I don't want to fire fight. I need to plan. But how can you plan when you don't know what's going to happen? So we need to be ahead of the game and we need to be looking at things as they happen, as they come up and seeing how we go forward. It's going to be a tough time. And as everything opens, we might end, all end up back down again come October, November. Mm. And we just have to be open to that and try to keep our reserves and resources and stretch them out a bit, I suppose. Exactly that. It's proactive leadership and trying to be ready for what's around the corner. We know that around the corner, there's probably going to be another setback, but we just don't know mm-hmm. how sort of big the corner is, do we? So it's about anticipating that, being ready for it. And indeed, just being aware of the fact that there are going to be a lot of post-pandemic challenges, because as, yeah. you, as you've mentioned there, safeguarding issues will become apparent and the mental health and well-being issues are still not going to just go away like that, are they? Now everything's open. There's going to be some lingering well, anxiety. Right. And I think mental health is vital important which is why we try to work with our, our children and our families will thrill and skill we make it exciting we help them um have lots of different opportunities and just let them relax and enjoy themselves 
we're not going to be really strict. We're not going to be really, you know, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. We will go with the flow and we follow the children's lead, absolutely follow their lead because they, they, are, what, they are what matters. They are the reason why we're here doing what we're doing. Um, we are going to remain open if we do go into another lockdown or anything else happens like that. We, we are going to remain open. We're going to be there. We're going to provide the service for our most vulnerable and for our key worker families. We won't be closing our doors. We will still be here. It's absolutely fantastic. And for those listening who that applies to, do be aware that Footprints Learning for Life Nursery is going to be there for you. Um, Sharon, thank you, I have to say, for joining us on the programme today. It's been a real, real pleasure and a real eye-opener welcoming you onto the show. And I actually think that as we start to understand more about what the legacy of the pandemic will bring, it would be great to actually welcome you back onto the programme with us just to catch up on how things are getting on and we can see what's changed within the sector, if anything, because there's a lot of variables still in this, a lot of variables and it would be good to of course review them later on down the line that's great thank you and thank you so much for having me today thank you I enjoyed chatting to you likewise Sharon I've thoroughly enjoyed it as I say real eye opener for myself I'm sure the listeners share that sentiment and also as well because we're not out of the woods with this whole situation yet do please continue to take care and stay safe with all still going on thank you thanks very much and I'd also extend that to all of the listeners tuning into today's podcast. Please do continue to be sensible, look after yourselves and be considerate of others because it does make such a key difference in keeping people safe. I was speaking on today's programme to Sharon Birch, owner of Footprints Learning for Life Nursery in Hartlepool. And I do hope that you all thoroughly enjoyed the interview. Until next time, now that indoor hospitality has returned, I'll be heading back to my usual spot in the Westminster Arms to raise a glass to outstanding leadership. Remember, please do continue to look after yourselves and be considerate of others, because even though normality is returning, that caution makes such a difference in preserving lives. We're almost there now, and better days are ahead of us. Do take care, and goodbye.